This is Basketball U. On Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Welcome in. It's a fresh basketball you here on the ESPN Chicago app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tyler Aki. You can follow me on Twitter at Tyler Aki underscore. We talk college basketball with you every single week here on this show. So be sure to download, rate, subscribe. That way it's in your feed whenever they get posted right away. And also tell all of your college hoops loving friends as well. We've got a ton to get to today. It's going to be a big, big 10 day on the show. We're going to talk a little Purdue. Also recap the Big 12 SEC. Challenge. What's going on between Iowa and Illinois as well? And we've got a fresh top 12 for you on the show today as well. But let's start with Purdue because they are the first unanimous number one that we've gotten this season. They got all 62 votes in the AP poll. They, by record, are the most dominant team in the power conferences right now. 22 and 1, 11 and 1 in the Big Ten. They also have a three and a half game advantage right now, according to Ken Palm. Purdue is expected to win the Big Ten by four games. But the thing about Purdue right now is they don't have this number one team feel to them, despite the fact that they kind of have the formula for what it takes to be number one, right? They play and to be heralded as such, too, and paraded around as such. They have a top three offense. They have a top 20 defense, which has actually been their Achilles heel over the last couple of seasons. We've seen that defense range in the, the outside the top 50, 75, what have you. So the defense has taken a significant, significant leap. Uh, I mentioned the, the player of the year candidate. Th- there's a great thread on Twitter by Jared Burson. Does fantastic work w- with stats um, in college basketball. And it's about Zach Eady, who is having one of the best seasons we've seen in college basketball in recent memory. Right now, Zach Eady is third in Division I in points per game at 22.1 and third in rebounds per game with 13. Only three players in the last 20 seasons have finished in the top five in both. In 2018-19, Mike Dom from South Dakota State, 07-08, Michael Beasley, and 06-07, Kevin Durant. And it's not like... He pads his stats. Uh, Burson continues and goes, does he pad his stats against inferior competition? No. In 10 games against Ken Palm top 50 teams, he's averaging 24.7 points and 12.5 rebounds on 60% shooting. He's led Purdue in both scoring and rebounding in every single one of those 10 games against top 50 teams. And then the way that he's kind of manhandled Michigan State, too. 38 points against the Spartans earlier this week, second most ever by a player in a game against Tom Izzo's coach Sparty and the most in regulation, and then he also had 32 in the win at the Breslin Center, the most ever by a visitor in a win there, and that game was awesome too. That was uh, the Martin Luther King Jr. Day game, and he was just, it was they would feed him, and even though Michigan State, I thought they actually had a, a game plan to foil him a little bit. They played physical with him, made him feel a little uncomfortable, but at the end of the day, they got the ball to Edie when it mattered most. And One of my biggest things about Edie and why I'm not totally sold, I shouldn't say I'm not totally sold on him. I'm, I'm totally sold. This guy goes out there and puts up 30 and 10 in his sleep, it feels like, but it's more of a, a skepticism of big men in general and why Big Ten teams often falter in the tournament is when it comes down to crunch time, a lot of teams aren't going to go to their big men. You're going to look for your guards to go create a shot and create a play for you. You're not going to go down to the big man, especially if you need a three ball as well. But the thing with Purdue is they go to Edie in crunch time. That Michigan State game is a perfect example from, from the uh, MLK day. They went to Edie in crunch time, and he gave them a big bucket, and and it sealed a win for them. So that right there tells you everything you need to know about why he's a little different. You don't necessarily see the the Michigan Wolverines go to Hunter Dickinson, or you don't necessarily see Kentucky go to Oscar Shibwe when they need a big bucket. I think it's a little different with Drew Timmy. I think Gonzaga does go to Timmy, but Timmy also has the ability to stretch the floor a little bit better than some of the other guys. So 
I look at the the way that Purdue utilizes Edie, even though he is a mammoth of a man and he doesn't have the ability to stretch out and shoot as much as uh, some of the other modern bigs, even though he does have a soft touch, he's good at the free throw line, um, even though all of that stuff, he doesn't have that kind of stretch fives sort of feel to him. They almost treat him like, all right, we're still not afraid to give you the ball when it matters most. Um, he's got five games with 30 and 10 this season. It's the most in Division One this year, and the only major conference players uh, with more over the last 15 years are Marvin Bagley, who had seven, and Blake Griffin, who had six. And quite frankly, I think we've got a few more in store for Zach Eady as well. Um, when you look at how many games he's got left, he's, he still has eight regular season games, plus the Big Ten tournament, plus the NCAA tournament as well. So Purdue's the first unanimous number one that we've seen this season. But anytime you hear people talk about Purdue, it's always, oh, Purdue's really good. But, and then it's this whole spiel about why people aren't totally sold on Purdue. And I think part of it is they played in a lot of close games, but the fact of the matter is they've closed out a lot of these close games too. And I think that is a skill and an art. Like you look at, Close game against Michigan, five-pointer. Close game against Maryland, three-pointer. Michigan State, one-point win. Penn State, three-point win. Um, They did lose, but it was a one-point loss to Rutgers, too. That's really the only close game they haven't closed out this season. And also, you think back to it, too. Like, what were we talking about Purdue early on in the season? It was their ability to blow some really good teams out. Like, remember what they did at the PK-85? Beat... Uh, West Virginia by 12. They beat Gonzaga by 18. They beat Duke by 19. Like They were blowing teams out in neutral site games, and now they've started to get back into that a little bit. The other day, on Sunday against Michigan State, they win by 16. They blow out Penn State by 20. Those are really quality wins right there. When you're beating teams by double digits at that magnitude, um, and I was one of the, the Purdue butt peoples for a, a long time this season, but uh, maybe, maybe not when, when they were blowing teams out early on, but once they got into Big Ten play and were starting to squeak out some wins, um, there was a three-point win against Nebraska. I forgot to bring that one up. That one went to overtime. But they're starting to seal some of these games off, and they're starting to play at a extremely high level. And, and another like component to the, to the Purdue butt, theory is that you look at their backcourt and it's very young Braden Smith true freshman Fletcher Lawyer true freshman but these guys are playing well beyond their years right now and I think that when you look at what the formula is to win in March you you can't say and harp against Purdue and also be pro Alabama which I very much am um, because of the fact that they both have a lot of young guys that are just playing like they're juniors and seniors. And Purdue, Alabama, they fit that mold right now. And I kind of think that both of these teams could be set up for a deep run in March. I do think, um, and, and this doesn't sound like it's going out on a limb, but maybe for some people it does sound like it's going out on a limb, but this Purdue team has the ability to get to the Final Four, and I don't think we were really saying that even the last time that they were the number one team in the country, I don't think that was common sentiment that, Oh, this is a a final four caliber Purdue team, but they've sort of proven themselves now. And I I also look at like the roster construction. I mean, the other day Mason Gillis was just on fire, right? This was a guy who goes out and hits nine, three pointers against Penn state. And he had only hit 17 for the entire season. He goes out and I believe he goes 9 of 12 against Penn State the other day. He he was just, this is a Purdue team where, okay, there's a different kind of guy that can sort of step up each and every single night for them. One night it could be Ethan Morton that, that has a great night for them. One night it's Mason Gillis, Fletcher Lawyer, uh, Brandon Newman, uh, Braden Smith. It, like It's a rotating cast of guys that can step up for this team. And you're always going to get the consistency of Zach Eady. You know he's going to get you the double-double. You know he's going to be unbelievable on the, the boards for you. He's going to be a great offensive rebounder as well. So this Purdue team, I, I think maybe another reason why people are a little more skeptical of Purdue is sort of the way that the Big Ten's played out this year. 
the Big Ten has largely been a disappointment. When you look at, all right, let's look back to preseason expectations for the Big Ten, right? You thought Illinois was going to be a really good team. You thought Indiana was the preseason uh, favorite within the conference, and Indiana's dealt with some injuries, but they've been disappointing. They're six and five in conference play, and Illinois—they came out of the shoot very disappointing. They actually have turned it around a little bit at seven and four now in the Big Ten, but you would have thought they would have been in the the conversation to win the conference when we were sitting here on, on a February third. But that has not been the case. Um, a lot of teams are starting to to make their their downturn. To Michigan's been bad. Um, Michigan State ha- has not been the the Michigan State that we're used to seeing. Wisconsin has been a huge disappointment this year. Um, they're a sub five hundred. And then we saw Northwestern sort of peek their head out. They looked like oh this may be a tournament team, right? But that has slowly started to wilt away now. They've lost their last two, including getting blown out at home against Michigan, and. I think that you look at what Northwestern accomplished earlier. They did have the big wins in back-to-back games against Illinois and Indiana, but they really hadn't impressed you with any sort of victory that they had had at any point this season up until that. And I think that remains the case. And you look at the next couple games for Northwestern, I mean, it is very, very possible that they lose their next four games at Wisconsin, at Ohio State, and then home against Purdue and Indiana. Those are four very losable games for Northwestern. Um, and I, I just I, I can't see this Northwestern team gathering enough momentum and steam to really make a run and ultimately find their way into the NCAA tournament. I just don't think it's possible this season, albeit they have overachieved to this point so far. But I'm starting to say, like, you know, I've had this saying on the show when I build my top 12 about the ACC and the Pac-12 and and the AAC as well, don't make headlines, right? Don't make headlines within your conference because if you continue to just take care of business against some of these bad teams in the conference, then you're going to give yourself a chance to continue to elevate and continue to be in the conversation for the one seed. And I think the Big Ten has slowly turned into a league like that because there isn't a whole lot that impresses you out of the conference aside from Purdue right now. And if they just sort of take care of business, then they'll be in a good spot moving forward. So uh, Purdue right now, the unanimous number one, and I I think rightfully so because they're 22-1 and right now. Um, There are are not many teams that can boast what they can. They've got the the most wins in all of college basketball right now and they are the only one loss team as well in the entire sport this isn't just a power five thing anymore this is an entire sport thing so purdue continues to be dominant they rank third in ken palm right now and when you go to the net they are also third there as well but the ap poll the i the eye test will tell you that they are the number one team in the country and rightfully so all right Let's get into the Big Twi- the the Big Twelve and SEC Challenge recap here. I've got the five results that stood out the most to me from the Big Twelve SEC Challenge, and I mean this is my favorite sort of in season event now. Um, it used to be the Big Ten ACC Challenge, but what these two conferences have sort of turned into, um, it's tough to to look away. So these are. The five results that stood out most. I was going to do three, but I was like, I can't just keep this list to three. There were way too many important things that happened over the weekend in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. So here we go. Number five, West Virginia at home takes down Auburn 80-77. to Three-point finish, um, and Auburn does cover a, a three-and-a-half-point spread here, but West Virginia was in control of this game. They're up 16 at half. Auburn makes a run late. They they do, I believe they got it uh, tied up at one point, but it never really felt like Auburn was a threat to win the game here. Eric Stevenson, transfer over from Washington, was fantastic for West Virginia. He had 31 points in this game. But I kind of alluded to this uh, when I filled in for Black and Abdallah the Friday before um, the uh, Big 12 SEC Challenge. I talked a little college basketball on that show, and one of the things that I brought up was you look at every single game, pretty much every single game 
in this one. And the better team, for the most part, was on the road. And I thought that was going to make for a really interesting Big Ten or Big 12 SEC challenge because I thought we could see a lot of upsets. We could see a lot of home underdogs win outright. And that was there there was a three pack of games. Um and, and one of the other ones is is a part of the the five most important um outcomes that I saw in this game or that I saw in the challenge. Uh but Mizzou throttling Iowa State 78 to 61 that was again a a home team that went out and beat a superior road team um I thought that was an important finish to the challenge Mississippi State takes down TCU 81 to 74 in overtime in that one um just a, a lot of really impressive and then the one of the other ones that I'll get to later but Oklahoma destroying Alabama 93 to 69 that was that was one hell of a game there and one hell of a showing by Porter Moser in Oklahoma but I'll get to some of those later on but I I I kind of feel a little vindicated after that because I I I saw the schedule and the way everything sort of shook out and was like there's a lot of really good road teams playing a lot of them will probably see get upset and I think we, we saw a, a fair amount of them get upset in this challenge all right Next game of the most important outcomes that I saw. Tennessee takes down Texas 82 to 71. This was a really good game. It was it was kind of close in the beginning, but then you saw Tennessee really pull away. And this is a Vols team. This was the the best game in terms of matchup on paper that we saw from the weekend. But this Vols team continues to lock down defensively. Um the offense really came alive. The defense sort of faltered in the second half, let up 43 points, but the result was kind of in hand at that point. Um, I, I like what I've seen out of Tennessee lately. You know, they're one of those teams, they're going to have some confusing losses along the way. They had one this week when they go out and they, they lost to Florida, um, got blown out by Florida too. There's going to be days where the offense is not there. And we've seen it pretty much in every single one of their losses um, but when the offense is there, they are a team that could be the number one team in the country because they have the number one defense in the country. So I like Tennessee. That's a great win that they had against Texas, but they need to continue to show that they don't have these sort of letdown performances after some of these big games. Like they had a nice win against Maryland early in the season, and then they followed up with a loss against Arizona, albeit that was a, a very good Arizona team, still is a good Arizona team. Um, but you, you follow up some of these big wins with, with losses, and you got to be able to take care of business on the road too. And the loss to Florida this week, a little disheartening, but um, the, the win against Texas, I think, was really big for Tennessee because um, really not a ton of chances for marquee victories. They've got Bama at home and then a pair of Auburn games, and then it's kind of, oh, how do you value Arkansas and Kentucky? Um, I, I think I value Arkansas a little higher than Kentucky, but that game's at home. Kentucky's on the road. Um, and it's going to be a revenge spot for you against Kentucky because you already have the loss against them earlier this season. But that was significant to me. Not worried about Texas. They bounced back with a big win against Baylor as well on Big Monday. Um, I still like Texas a lot. I think Rodney Terry's done a pretty good job there um, as the interim head coach so far. All right, next up, my my third biggest result that stood out the most from the Big 12 SEC Challenge that was uh, Kansas taking down Kentucky, and this was supposed to be the the premier matchup of the the challenge, and it was it was a good game. So Kansas wins seventy seven to sixty eight on the road, snaps a three game losing streak, and I think that was really important for this Jayhawks team because they needed to go out there and kind of assert their dominance because this Kentucky team obviously is not the Kentucky team that we thought we were getting heading into this season. Fantastic game from Jalen Wilson. Um, he, he goes off for 22 points, eight rebounds, only turns the ball over once, picks up a couple steals as well. Um, and you did your best to limit Oscar Sheboy to 18 points, nine rebounds for Sheboy in this game. He turned the ball over three times as well. But 
I look at what Kansas was was doing, sort of the rut they were in. They were bounced from my top 12 last week. I mean, Bill Self was on the ropes of facing his first ever four-game losing streak as the head coach of Kansas, and he bounced back in a big way, picked up that win against Kentucky on the road at Rupp, too. So I I was happy with what I saw from this Kansas team, and I, I think that they're going to pick up some momentum moving forward here. They do have a couple of tough games, but then it's sort of you get the, the road Oklahoma stretch that if you can take care of business there, and then you've got – a Texas Tech game to sort of close things out near the end of the season as well. So, again, every game sort of a grind in the Big 12, but I think that the way that Kansas's schedule is set up, um, they've they've played a lot of their toughest opponents so far. And even though it's, it's still going to be tough on the way out, but it's not going to be nearly the grinder that they had early on in Big 12 play. All right, number two most significant result that I saw from the Big 12 SEC, that is... Mizzou taking down Iowa State, 78-61. to um, I've really been impressed with what I've seen from Missouri this season. I love watching them play because they are they're a fun offensive team, one of the, the best offensive teams, fifth-rated offense according to Ken Palm. Problem is their defense ranked 187, and that's going to let a lot of teams hang around and, and ultimately beat them at, in games where their shots aren't dropping. Um. But it was a big win for them. They're on a three-game winning streak right now. And um, Mizzou's going to be one of those teams that's going to be vying for an NCAA tournament spot. And this is going to be one of those resume sort of building wins for them, in my opinion. They're ranked inside the top 50 in Ken Palm right now. But Dennis Gates has done a great job of shifting the culture with this team year after or in just a, one season pretty much and flipping this offense and getting it to the right spot to become a top five offense. Um, you look at some of their losses this season. Um, it's been three road losses, Arkansas, Texas A&M, Florida, and then they got crushed by Alabama, but Alabama sort of crushed everybody. And then they lost to Kansas earlier in the season as well. But they're doing they're doing some nice stuff right now. I really like what I've seen out of Mizzou. They're they're one of the the unheralded fun teams out of the SEC. And to go out and put a beat down on Iowa State, who had been playing really good basketball. I talked about it last week when you kind of did the the Big Twelve round robin of the dominant teams within the conference. Iowa State had pretty much beaten all of them. They've got wins against Baylor, TCU, Texas, Kansas State. Uh, they've really The only uh, elite Big 12 team they really haven't beaten yet is Kansas, and that was just a two-point loss on the road. So Iowa State has played some really good basketball, but I think one thing we've sort of picked up on this season is that good offense is starting to beat good defense. Like I look back to that Arizona-Tennessee game. We saw that rear its head at that point um, in the season. It was the number one offense against the number one defense. Arizona, the number one offense, came out on top. And in, in this game, Missouri, a top-five offense going up against a top-ten defense in Iowa State, the top-five offense beats the top-ten defense. So I think we're starting to see that where offense is becoming more and more important in the sport, and that leads me into the the last game that I've got here of the the most imp- the biggest impression that I saw in the Big Twelve SEC Challenge. You, you can't say it wasn't Oklahoma absolutely throttling Alabama, my number one team in the top twelve from a week ago. Bama gets destroyed, ninety three to sixty nine. It was a great great performance from Oklahoma, a team that really needs to start racking up some wins if they want to be in tournament conversation right now. They could be one of the Big 12 teams on the outside looking in, but this is a big resume-building win. You look at what they've done in the Big 12 so far this season. They have not beaten a great team. They Their wins have come against Texas Tech and a one-point win against West Virginia at home. I, I'm it's If you're going to get into the NCAA tournament and you're Oklahoma – you have to go out and beat the Baylors, the Kansases, the Kansas States, the Texas, the TCUs, the Iowa States. You can't rely on, on some flimsy Texas Tech, West Virginia wins in the conference. You And listen, the beauty of it is that's pretty much all this team plays the rest of the way. Um, they do have another game against West Virginia, but then it goes Baylor, Kansas, Kansas State, Texas, Texas Tech, Iowa State, Kansas State, TCU. 
So pretty much the way to fill out the rest of your schedule, if you can pick up some of these wins, you're going to put yourself in that situation. But um, Oklahoma is a team that I think is in all likelihood going to be on the outside looking in. But remember this Bama game if they get in. And this is another reason why I'm a little disappointed that the ACC-SEC challenge next year, when they uh, start that up, is not going to be in the winter during conference play. Because I like having this little uh, in-conference play wedge with a cross-conference challenge because of the fact that you glean more from it and it means more for a tournament resume as well, while also not impacting your team in conference and conference seating. I think that this is important because it makes these games mean more. The unfortunate part of the Big Ten ACC Challenge is, while it's it's a nice event and it's fun when it happens in early December, late November, it doesn't really mean anything for tournament resumes. Because pretty much anything before the new year, before conference play, you kind of throw out the window when you're the committee. Because so much changes between then and when you're seeding the 68 teams. This, to me, is the, the perfect wedge to make the games matter, make it high profile. You, you dominate the sport on a Saturday. And on top of that, you also, if you do go out and lose, it doesn't hurt you in your conference standing. I think it's perfect. I love the way that it's situated right now. I wish the ACC and SEC would adopt the same model for next year, but it does not look like that's going to be the case, unfortunately. But for Oklahoma, this is a big win, and it's coming at a meaningful time for them as well. People are going to remember this one, 93-69 there. As for Alabama, I am still very high on them. They bounce back with a huge win against Vanderbilt. I'll talk about that a little bit later when we get into the top 12. All right. So let's get into the Big Ten here because we've got some conflict brewing here, all right? We've got a little conflict with Iowa and Illinois and what's going on between these two teams. Well, here's what's happening right now, all right? In case you haven't seen it yet, the Illinois student section, Orange Crush, had bought $6,000 worth of tickets. I think it was like two, 300 tickets. And they had already uh, bought some buses to go make up their yearly trip up to, uh, or their yearly road trip. Every year, the, the student section travels to one road game each season, okay? And they had chosen the Iowa game. They bought the tickets over the summer, and they bought it with a, a group ticket package, and they went under the Boys and Girls Club of Champaign, all right. Now, Iowa was tipped off about this, and on Wednesday of this week, they voided the tickets because they found out that it was the Orange Crush impersonating the Boys and Girls Club, and they were like, all right, we're not going to let this fly, and instead we are going to um, we're gonna void the tickets, and on top of that, we are, since they impersonated the Boys and Girls Club, we're going to donate those tickets to a local Boys and Girls Club in the state of Iowa. So they're, And it's a sold-out Carver-Hawkeye Arena this weekend, so there's no sort of last-ditch effort to compile a bunch of tickets unless they're going to go through the secondary market here. Here's my... I've got two takes, all right, off of this. Two things. One, I think um, the Orange Crush misplayed their hand, right? And they're, they're kind of playing victim now because they got caught... But we talked a little bit about this on Waddle and Sylvie. Listen, Orange Crush, I'm excited for your next move. What's your next move going to be? Because, all right, they, they, they played a counterpunch here. What, what do you have now? Do you got another hook in you? What do you have for us here? Because, let's be honest, like it is a douche move to impersonate the Boys and Girls Club of Champagne, right? Uh, one of the, the, the best sort of charitable organizations that help underprivileged youth um, the Boys and Girls Club does a great job with things across the country. So kind of a douche move to impersonate that in an effort to get into a college basketball game in the state of Iowa, right? I almost think it would have been better to get rejected this week with them knowing that you are the Orange Crush or even get rejected back in the summer with them knowing that you're the Orange Crush so that way you're in the right at this point. At that point, then Iowa fans are, are, are 
kind of cowarding out, right? Like that's on them at that point. And you make that the story. However, I, I do think that Iowa still should have honored the tickets, obviously, because guess what? Franuary is over, all right? We, we see every year Iowa goes on a, a nice little run in the, in the month of, of January um, with Fran McCaffrey, but Franuary is over now, and they need every tactical advantage that they can get. And with February looming now for this Iowa team, it's not going to be easy for them, and we're going to start to see the losses stack up. They're already having a disappointing season as it is. So... Um, this is just, I think this is, this is the, the Iowa Hawkeyes kind of cowering out a little bit of this, but, um, I, I think both, te- both programs are in the right. Both programs are in the wrong as well. Iowa shouldn't have no- avoided the tickets. Illinois shouldn't have, uh, impersonated the boys and girls club, but Illinois should still be allowed to go. And Iowa, I think was right to, to still be able to, to call them out for, for impersonating the, the boys and girls club of champagne but um interesting little little side uh tidbit there between uh these two teams as that game's taking place this saturday um and i think that by freezing out illinois um chalk them up for a win chalk up uh illinois for a win that they're gonna be a uh they're gonna win as a result of that all right last sort of little beef i have here the and not beef that i have but beef story that i have i should say um, North Carolina and Pitt. We got an, another little rivalry brewing here. So Jeff Capel said that there was a lot of disrespect from UNC fans towards his brother Jason. And I think it all stems from a tweet that was posted. This is really, really odd. So um, UNC on the day of the game tweeted a the game day sort of programmy photo of Creighton Labo, who's a walk-on on the team, but he wears number 25. And number 25 was worn by Jason Capel at North Carolina back in the day. And I guess Jason Capel took this as a slight, that he saw the tweet and took it as a slight that they were sort of showing him up and I thought to myself, what? How, how is that showing him up? I, I don't get that. This tweet apparently set off Jason Capel. And again, Jason and, and North Carolina, um, it's kind of been a, a rocky relationship ever since then, um, ever since he left the the, the program. But the, the this was just odd to me. I don't understand. First of all, I didn't think coaches were really on Twitter. I think that... I know that a lot of them, they have Twitter, but they don't actually control their own Twitters. They just have SIDs or whatever, um, or managers control the Twitter for them. Um, but the fact that this set off Jason Capel really shocked me. Um, and a North Carolina spokesperson came out and said, the game day graphic had absolutely nothing to do with Jason Capel. The person who made the graphic didn't even know what number Jason wore when he played here 21 years ago when the designer was three years old. We put all of our players on game day graphics, and it just happened to be Lebo's turn, turn in the rotation. So I find that hilarious that he expected some social guy to know that Jason Capel wore 25, and, oh, because of that, we're going to put our guy who's number 25 in the rotation there. The slight I would have maybe picked up on and maybe taken offense to if I were the Capels was putting a walk-on against a team like Pitt, who traditionally has been very bad in the ACC. I could see that being the slight and saying, oh, we're going to blow you guys out and so bad that we're going to have to be put the walk-ons in. Like That's the slight I could interpret there, and I get that. And if you want to use that as your own kind of manufactured bulletin board material, whatever, go for it, be my guest. But this feels like a little bit of a stretch here. All right, let's get into the top 12 here. I'll start with my number 12 team, team that's dipped five spots in the rankings, but I still feel the need to put them in. Um, That is the TCU Horned Frogs. They check in after a loss against Mississippi State in the the Big 12 SEC in overtime. They did bounce back with a win against West Virginia. I still like the way that they're playing. They've won three of their last four, including a road victory against Kansas where they crushed the Jayhawks. And I think this is still a, a TCU team 
that I think can make a run to the final four. They're dealing with some injuries right now. Mike Miles missing a little bit of time. Um, but I think that this is a a team that can still make some noise. And um, he, Miles got injured in that, that Mississippi State game. Um, they also played without Eddie Lampkin, their big man too, who's so important to what they do. So I'm, I'm still very high on TCU. I'm not going to penalize them a ton for injury. I want to keep them in the top 12, but they were uh, the biggest dip that we saw of any team in the top 12. But they are my 12th team in the top 12. On to number 11 here, and that is where we find the Kansas Jayhawks. They are our Big 12 flavor of the week, which kind of odd to say about the Kansas Jayhawks, but after you go through a three-game losing streak and kind of find your moxie back uh, the next week, win against Can- uh, Kentucky, win against Kansas State, 12-point win at, at home, uh, bounce-back win after they lost to Kansas State earlier in the season on the road in overtime, um, but they just look like they're They've kind of found the what made them Kansas once again. Um, tough little stretch that they have coming up here at Iowa State, then home against Texas, on the road against both the Oklahomas, and then at home against Baylor Road TCU. So should be an interesting February for them. It should be it's an interesting February for every team in the Big Twelve, really. But um, everyone's sort of jockeying for position here um, in the 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 Big Twelve right now. Um, next up, we've got Baylor. I think that Baylor has been one of the kind of fun teams to to make a little resurgence here in the Big 12. After starting out in conference 0-3, they won six games in a row, including beating Arkansas in the Big 12 SEC. They lost to Texas on Big Monday, but I'm not going to penalize teams, I think, for close Big Monday losses on the road anymore. We've just seen the trend this season and in seasons past, so far this season, road or home teams are five and zero against the spread in Big Monday home games. Home teams five and zero against the spread. Um, in Texas, they were a narrow favorite in this one. I think it was like two and a half, three points on Fanduel when it all closed. Um, but I'm not going to penalize teams, and they they end up losing by five. They actually had this thing much closer, and Texas sort of made a little mini push at the end of the game. So not going to ding teams for big Monday road losses in close games. That's why I'm keeping Baylor. Baylor actually bumped up a spot to 10 in uh, my, my top 12 here. Still really like what they've done, and they've been playing some of the best ball as of late in the Big 12, and they've got a nice little cushy schedule here coming up. They've got home against Texas Tech, home against Oklahoma. That's about as easy as it gets in this conference for a two-game span. Number nine, uh, they it is the the Texas Longhorns. They drop one spot in my my top twelve, but I kept them above Baylor because of the fact that uh, they had just beaten them on Monday. And I do want the games to matter. They did lose to Tennessee earlier in the week, but again, that's a ten versus four matchup there, so not going to hurt them too much for a road loss um, in Knoxville. I like how this team's played. They've won three of their last four. And um, they are number one in the Big 12 right now. And I'm looking at my top 12, and I want the games to matter. Um, and Texas right now has the best record in the Big 12. They are playing really good basketball, and they're doing it with an interim head coach. So um, I opened up my top 12 with four straight Big 12 teams, the top four teams in the Big 12. And I think you're going to see a lot of teams in my top 12, in the, the 7 to 12 range, you'll probably see at least three big 12 teams in that little cluster because I know they're good enough that they need to be included, but I also know that um, they're probably not top 5 caliber. I don't know if we've got a top 5 caliber big 12 team, um, but they're all going to be hovering right there. And I did bounce two big 12 teams, by the way, from the top 12. Two, the two teams that are out are... Iowa State and Kansas State. Um, and I'm also, so there's teams that are out, and I'm also going to start this to the watch out team as well. The team to watch out for that could enter the top 12 next week. And my watch out team, I'm sort of inter um, doing a little intermission here, but my watch out team is the Creighton Blue Jays. They're playing fantastic basketball right now. They've won five in a row, including victories at home against Providence and at home against Xavier. But 
the way that they're doing this right now is they are blowing teams out. Crushed Butler on the road by 21. Crushed St. John's by 28. Um, they beat Xavier at home by 17. Beat Georgetown by 10. They're killing teams right now. Um, and they're starting to find what made them a preseason Final Four candidate. So they are my watch-out team. All right. So I've gone through the Big 12 cluster here. I gave you the four Big 12 teams. Now it's on to number eight, a team that is actually debuting in the top 12. And number eight also matches their Ken Palm ranking as well. That's the Marquette Golden Eagles, who are playing amazing basketball this season. 10-2. and two, They've won four in a row, including a road victory against Seton Hall and a, a road throttling of DePaul as well. They beat Villanova the other day at home. Um, they've won four in a row, like I mentioned, and one of those is against Providence. Their only losses this season in conference. You've got a double OT loss against Providence on the road back in uh, late December, and then a road loss against Xavier. You look at all their losses so far, everything's been close. Everything's been within five points. Five-point loss at Purdue earlier this season. Three-point loss to Mississippi State. Three-point loss at home in overtime against Wisconsin in a rivalry game. Five-point loss in double OT against Providence. And then a four-point loss against Xavier. Everything's been within five points. Marquette right now has the number one offense on Ken Palm. Um, and I think the way that the Big East is sort of set up right now, they're turning it into they're the class of the conference right now at 10-2. and two. Um it's them and Xavier right now, but I think that Marquette's got enough to hold off Xavier. And kind of like what I said earlier um, when I was talking about Tennessee and Mizzou, we're seeing good offense beat good defense at this point. And even though Marquette's defense outside the top 60 in Ken Palm right now, they're showing it enough night in and night out. I mean, just look at their last three games. They've held all the teams under 70 points. And if you're going to hold teams under 70 points and have the number one offense in the country – you're going to be primed to go to win like 16, 15 conference games. That's going to set you up nicely. So, and you look at the rest of their schedule here, they've got eight more conference games, and half of them come against Butler, Georgetown, DePaul, and another Butler. So, and also a St. John's at home that you've got mixed in there as well. So really only three games that I'm keeping my eye on for Marquette the rest of the way. I think they take care of business in all those games against those bad opponents that I laid out. Um, but you've got UConn on the road coming up on Tuesday. And then you've got Xavier at home and Creighton on the road. Those are the three. If you can go two and one, that's going to be really, really strong for them. Um, but Marquette debuting at number eight in my, my top 12 here. All right, big jumper, the Tennessee Volunteers. I know they lost the other night against Florida. Bad loss for them, but the win against Texas by 11 points at home in the Big 12 SEC, one of the more significant results that I saw. Um, they continue to play fantastic defense. They held Florida under 70 points. The offense just wasn't there in that game. So I, I still really like Tennessee. They, they're a lot higher in a lot of other polls. Like they're number two in the AP right now. They're number two in the net. Um, and they're number two in Ken Palm as well. I've got them at number seven just because it's been some head-scratching losses that you would hope they could avoid. Like this Tennessee team right now, they're 18-4. and four. But they feel like they should be a two-loss team right now. So I'm, I, I, I want to see them play more like the two-loss team that uh, they really are. Um, but I've got them at, at number seven. Number six, and one of the, the bigger fallers in my top 12, it's the UCLA Bruins. Coming off of a rough weekend, um, they lost to Arizona on the road, kind of expected that one. And then they lost to USC on the road as well by 13 Played, uh, they were in control of the entire game last night against Washington, but still uh, a team that you think that they could blow out at home. Um, that little patch of losses, again, my whole thing with the Pac-12 is don't make headlines, and you made a couple headlines there with that loss against USC. Um, so I, I'm still very high on UCLA. I think they've got Final Four potential. Um, the schedule sets up really nicely, really the rest of the way. They do not play a top 50 Ken Palm team until the season finale against Arizona. So take care of your business. Uh, Ken Palm projects you to win out here. So go out and, and try to win out here if you're UCLA. But I've got them at number six, three-spot drop from a week ago. 
my number five team, that is the Arizona Wildcats. I, I, I said I want the games to matter in this thing, and they've got the head-to-head victory against UCLA. They're on a five-game winning streak right now. They crushed Oregon at home last night, avenged a loss that they had against the Ducks earlier this season, um, and then they they went out and dominated Washington on the road, which is always impressive to me because they play that unorthodox 2-3 style defense. And then they also beat Washington State, who's a solid team on the road there as well. So they're taking care of business. They're not making headlines. And that's why they're my biggest jumper up to five in my top 12 right now. And um, they don't play a top 50 Ken Palm team until the final week when they have their their LA road stretch at USC and at UCLA. So just continue to take care of business and maybe you shock the Bruins on the road um, to close out the regular season and then really kind of assert yourself in the Pac-12 there. All right, number four. This team has continued to be steady and impressive to me, and it is the Virginia Cavaliers who currently are on a seven-game win streak. All of those wins have been pretty comfortable too. They've been in like the five to 10 point range. But again, we grade on the the Cavalier curve here when evaluating margin of victory. Uh, They did blow out Boston College by by 19. Um, But we grade on the Cavalier curve here when we talk about the margin of victory for Virginia because they play at such a slow pace. Five to 10 points really feels like eight to 14 points. And just to do that night in and night out, every single game, home, road, doesn't matter, go out, take care of business, and win a big Monday game on the road, albeit they didn't cover, but to win a big Monday game on the road, that is always impressive to me, even if it is against a bum Syracuse team. Um, I look at what Virginia's done this season, and they continue to just take care of business ever since the calendar flipped to the new year pretty much they they faltered out of the gates against Pitt but they've won seven in a row and have done so pretty comfortably in each one so really like what I've seen out of Virginia um, they are currently in the net um, the net's not as impressed with them they've got them at, at 14 and then in the AP poll a uh, little bit higher on, on Virginia they've got them at six but I've got them at four here just the steady performance and just, I think there's a lot to be said in this day and age of college basketball of going out and, and just winning conference games and stringing together long winning streaks in conference. They're playing great basketball on both ends of the floor. So Virginia, they are my number four team up a spot in the top 12. That leads me to my number three team. Um, and that is the Houston Cougars who do have a head to head victory against Virginia. That is why they are a spot above them right now. Houston has had a couple close calls this week. They trailed against Wichita State. They trailed against Cincinnati, but uh, they've turned those into wins. They've won three in a row now. Um, They continue to look like one of the most dominant teams. They've got top 10 offense, top 10 defense. Not a lot of teams can boast that right now. And if you're Houston, if you want to be a one seed in the NCAA tournament, I get that we've seen a ton of turnover in the top five. We see uh, top 10 teams lose all the time. But... This team needs to win out in the AAC, needs to win out in the AAC, I think, if they want to be truly taken seriously as a one seed, because you're going to start to look at some bad losses the rest of the way. Really, the only bad loss or non-bad loss you could have the rest of the way is at Memphis. Everyone else you should take care of. Um, But I, I want to see this Houston team win out and just assert their dominance, put together a Gonzaga level run in this in this AAC. So that's what I'm looking for out of them. My number two team, they've got the head-to-head win over uh over Houston, and that is Alabama. They they lose, they get embarrassed. I, I'm not gonna dock them a ton because of the way that they responded. And that was with a 57-point victory against Vanderbilt. It's the largest conference win in Division One since Gonzaga beat Santa Clara by 59 in 2019. Their offense was amazing in this game. Their defense was amazing in this game. 101-44 to was the final, um, and everyone sort of got into the action in this game. Brandon Miller, he goes for 22 points, 6 of 13 from 3, also had 8 rebounds. Um, that's the, the Man Crush Miller uh, update for you right there. 
But you got five guys in double figures, three of which came off the bench, by the way. Um, Namari Burnett's back and playing great basketball as well. He had 16 points in 15 minutes, shot the ball really well from three. Um, Alabama as a team, 19 of 41 from three. Kind of tells you everything you need to know. And then on the other side, uh, so Alabama goes out and shoots 46% on high volume shooting of threes. On the other side, um, Vandy shoots 10%, three of 30. So 10% on a high volume of threes as well. Trey Thomas off the bench for Vandy in this game. He goes one of 10, yikes, um, from three-point land. So it was a tough shooting night for Vandy, but Coleman was rocking. Not worried about Alabama long-term. And then my number one team, we talked about them a lot already, but no choice but to put Purdue number one. Zach Eady's been on a tear, and they have really just been playing fantastic basketball. 20 well, one and one, right? Or twenty-two and one, rather, is their record this season, and they continue to tear through the Big Ten and have a sizable lead for the conference title right now. That is my top twelve: Purdue, Alabama, Houston, Virginia, Arizona, UCLA, Tennessee, Marquette, Texas, Baylor, Kansas, TCU, Iowa State, and Kansas State get bumped from the rankings. And my watch out team is the Creighton Blue Jays. They could be in the top 12 when we reconvene next week. Great weekend of college basketball. We do have an unranked Carolina-Duke matchup this week, which is sort of a bummer. Um, I I was kind of hoping that this would be a revitalization of the rivalry. But, I mean, Shire and and Hubert Davis both have sort of struggled to, to get it together this year. But that will be a good game. We've got a ton of them. Purdue and Indiana, big rivalry weekend this weekend. Purdue, Indiana. Um, Illinois, Iowa, I mentioned Duke, Carolina. Um, yeah, just a lot of really great rivalry games this weekend. So looking forward to all of that. And then on top of that, you got Texas and Kansas state, Kansas at Iowa state, TCU at Oklahoma state, the, uh, Virginia, Virginia tech. That's a rivalry game. Gonzaga, St. Mary's that's a rivalry game. So a lot of fantastic basketball this weekend. Looking forward to breaking it all down with you next week, right here on basketball. You that's going to do it for us today. We will be back next week. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. That way you get it in your feed. Download that thing. And be sure to tell all of your college hoops loving friends as well. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at TylerAki underscore. Always talking college basketball with you guys there. And look forward to doing that with you next week as well. So we will be back. Talk to you next week.